Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, good people. Welcome to our show. Bad people. Welcome to our show. Medium people. Welcome anyone who wanna learn more about crossroads marketing. AI in iOS 17. Welcome. Today we are going to discuss more about that, how you can increase your results. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Scott DeGrossier. How are you? I'm doing great, Anatoly, especially thanks to that great pronunciation of my name you just did. <laughs> ah, yeah. I felt 100 times before the podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm trying my best to pronounce names. I know it's important. Now, once I read this book, awesome book from Dale Carnegie. And he mentioned that the name is the most important asset for any people, any human being. And yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pronounce any names. Um, I'm Ukrainian then, but yeah, I'm trying my best. Scott, before we start, just tell more about your self-experience, background, and anything that can help our listeners to learn more about you. I'm the founder and CEO of Wicked Reports. We provide marketing attribution, insights, and optimization that are powered by full funnel marketing attribution and upcoming AI, which we spent a lot of months developing. My background is finance and systems. I used to create systems just for fun using data, predicting which horse was gonna win a horse race. Um, for those of you in fantasy baseball or football sports, I used to use statistics to try to predict which players I should put on my pretend team. And then uh, my favorite class was statistics in college, you know, and I used to de uh, develop tr financial trading systems. And then I ran databases and then I got into marketing attribution through a, through a friend of mine that was struggling with attribution. Turns out I didn't, we didn't even have it. No, it was called that when I got first, I've been doing this just about 10 years. We first got into it and he was just like, Hey, I'm trying to figure out if Facebook works or not. And that led to, you know, a journey that still continues today, you now 10 years. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, you mentioned that you do something for fun, you know, or started for fun. I, I think, you know, it's very important, you know, to do anything for fun, to enjoy <laughs> the process. Yeah, I remember when I started a new business project uh, and uh, I did it for the sake of earning money. I found gaps in market, so I, I felt that I can cover this gap to earn a lot of money and have a big team you now many experts uh, after three years i quit <laughs> i decided i can't go ahead like this because uh, i hated monday i loved friday oh. and i got it no 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 uh, today i do anything for fun if uh, i can't do it in the evening on sunday or saturday even at night that means it's not my job <laughs> i need to enjoy the process scott can you tell how you find this uh fun feeling you know because i see it's a big struggle with many uh people on my audience including myself you know to find something to do for fun because 70 percent of people hate their jobs it's a lot so can you tell your methods how to find this direction Sure. Um, I took a, I had read this uh, book that was somewhat woo woo or spirit. I mean, I, I read a lot of spirituality books, but this one's called the passion test. This was a long time ago, mm -hmm. back in 2012. 
New Year's Eve, and I, I was getting bored with my job. I was working for Motorola, doing phone apps and things for them. Worked on the first pizza that got ordered by a Domino's phone. Excuse me, by a Motorola phone, first Domino's pizza that was ordered, which was kind of a cool project. But I just wasn't having the same thrill and excitement for that where I was working. So I read this book called The Passion Test, which helped you kind of find out what your true passion was, but also what you loved to do. And what I most loved to do uh, was, to, was to use data to kind of predict how to win games, which is kind of a weird thing saying it aloud, but I love doing yeah. that. Like you give me any type of game and I'm trying to figure out the odds, trying to figure out how to predict how you're going to do and I really like using spreadsheets to try to mess with formulas and see what's the output, but then did it actually, was it correct or not? And so I thought I was going to just develop trading systems more full time. And I actually interviewed and was going to get a job doing that in Chicago. However, I had two small kids and I wanted to leave Chicago because it was it's a great city, but that's not great for a couple young kids, uh, I didn't think. And so I wanted to move, which that wasn't congruent with that other goal. And so that was something where I went on the hunt. I went looking for what can I do based on knowing that I love to do this. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean I love to do it every day, 12 hours a day, but like I really enjoy now Wicked Reports. I don't get to do it as much running the company. We're a little bigger now, but being in there trying to work out what the system's going to do and what people are going to see and then what they're going to act and the results they're going to get. I just enjoy doing that. So I had to create my own company to do it. Not everyone will have, you know, almost no one will have that same passion as mine. Uh, but that's what I did. And because um, you got to have trade-offs because I could have got the same, the universe is going to reply back to you. I could have, I could have got a job doing systems all day, but I would have had to sit in an office in Chicago, stay in downtown Chicago, not have the mobility and freedom I wanted. And so I realized it was there was caveats uh, or other other criteria. It was I want to develop systems that predict using data, but I also need I also want to be my own boss, and I also want freedom. And then, then that that refined that you have to get your vision really refined, or you're not you're going to keep getting things that are almost that. So then the contrast helps you figure out what you really want. Mm -hmm. Nice, yeah. You know, uh, I love reading books. This book is on my list because you know the headline of this book can explain a lot. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what kind of book is this? You know, so yeah, I'm going to read this book. Yeah, it's interesting to know. Yeah, yeah to check out my passion. <laughs> and uh, Scott, uh, let's talk about marketing attribution, AI. Um, no, what I usually see when companies uh, create, uh, you know, or even not create, even like chase vanity metrics, uh, for example, like traffic, uh, likes, comments, shares uh, that don't help to sell. Um, and um, uh, according to some studies, uh, most companies have no documented content strategy. Uh, yeah, they just uh, check out what competitors do, replicate them. But each case is different. We have different unique selling propositions, strong size. So can you tell uh, how to create the right strategy, uh, especially today when we have AI 
it's a great tool you know uh, that was simple to ignore hard today impossible tomorrow so uh tell your methods how to create the right strategy marketing strategy today considering ai sure for me you know ai is artificial intelligence it doesn't mean it's more intelligent it's i mean in some cases it is <laughs> but a lot of times it's just going to do something faster but not maybe as good or it's going to provide memory prompts or think prompts for you to then you're going to provide a prompt so then i'm going to give you prompts to then help your creative process is from my experiences with data strategy whenever you're doing a marketing campaign i think you need to develop a hypothesis of what you're trying to achieve and then based on that goal how you're going to measure it before you launch it because different there's different uh when you're dealing with your prospect i mean industries have their different stages but generally you you have a prospect it's got an awareness stage and then they're going to consider and then they're going to maybe buy you know let's just keep it simple and use three stages i want you got to get you got to get people aware of you you've got to get them to actually you know say okay i'm actually going to consider this service and then you got to hopefully get them to buy those are three separate things and so when you're launching the marketing there, you got to think about that. Like what, which phase am I trying to target? Because that affects your strategy. Because you can't just go in and say, here's how we're going to look at the data. Because if I'm looking at the data and just measuring it based on attributed revenue, and I'm using a model call that doesn't fit the strategy of the marketing, then it's not going to help me at all. And it might cause me to turn off things that are actually valuable. For example, in Facebook, if, you, if you're using just your Facebook metrics and ad manager, they have a results column. It's likely based on sales that happened within the last seven days. However, if your sales cycle is 14 days and you have to get people into the funnel that they're then going to buy, it's not going to optimize for the cold traffic that got the people into the funnel. Or if you're doing recurring revenue of any kind, that high lifetime value that doesn't show up in Facebook either. And your data strategy has to take into account how much lifetime value are you going to account for in all your different metrics? Because then you're going to pay more or less for different clicks at different stages in the journey. And so what I like to do is say, well, give me a rudimentary understanding of your funnel. Make sure you're measuring the campaigns each way. And then use customer lifetime value and use reverse the math back to see what your break-even cost is at each um, each conversion point. And then you got to measure everything right. So it'd be like you're measuring, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, you're measuring your weight. doesn't matter how many calories you burn or how much food you eat or what. You, end of the day, did you lose weight or not? <laughs> yeah. That's the measure you got to use. Now, th then those other measures might be important. Maybe you need to match your, uh, watch your calories more because you're not going to work out because you got an injury. So you got to do 1,500 calories a day. And then someone yeah. else is like, I'm doing CrossFit and I'm, tra or I'm training for the Ironman triathlon. I got to do 4,000 calories just to meet my training needs. So if you were using a calories measure without you in taking into account what your plan is, you know, you'd fail because you weren't measuring right. So I, I think getting the right measure to the right. So understanding what your goal is in each step is critical. Yeah. You remind me Arnold Schwarzenegger. Once he replied to the question, how he achieved high success 
everywhere in sport, politics, movies, and he replied because of setting the right goals. He always knows what he wants to achieve. And even when 99% of people don't believe it's possible because he needs to compete with a million people, no, a lot of people, but he doesn't care. He has the right goals and stick with them. Uh, perseverance, many, many things, hard work, but uh, he always starts with uh, the right clear goals. Uh, and uh, I remember many years ago, like a decade ago, I set up Facebook ads, Google ads myself without considering a buying persona, uh, without considering sales funnel, because uh, cost per click was like five ten cents. Today I need to pay five ten dollars. It's a lot, you know. And yeah, today it's a must have. Can you tell how to do it? How to create the right buying persona uh, by using data that we have? Because what I usually see when companies uh, replicating competitors uh, consider their settings uh, and forget about unique selling proposition, about strong sites, about anything that can separate, differentiate them from uh, the rest. You know, so any tips about that? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's important. Just, and I also want to say I saw John Daniels' message here. I don't think uh -huh. gut feeling will. So interesting. I'll, uh, I'll to answer your question, but I didn't want to address his comment. So when we're we're currently training our data up at Wicked Reports and, for AI, and what we're doing is the AI runs a, an analysis based on frameworks we've developed. And then a human scores the answer because, for example, AI doesn't necessarily know about Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And so if it's training a data set and looking at it, and it just says, oh, my God, just keep doing what you did Black Friday and Cyber Monday every day because those are record sales days and high row at whatever, you know. But a human can say, can, you know, understand seasonality a lot easier and with a lot less expense and with a lot more nuance. There's all those things that, you know, you only know from being in a business or being in a field at the moment, particularly where AI is at. And so for sure right now, that's what we were finding. Cause if you just stick the AI on optimize based on conversion rate, right? We'd all be rich. You just keep trying to figure out the perfect conversion rate funnel. And then you go out, everything go to the moon. doesn't work that easy, you know? Um, particularly with the, the customer journey path and delayed conversions. Um, things take time maybe to show profitability, but maybe wildly profitable. You just have to the right time duration or the right metric you're using. So as for, uh, yeah, for I, I think ICP, ideal customer profile is very important. I think AI can help with that because you can start from your existing customer data and then use various data sources to augment that to, to speed up a lot of time. Cause you might have very strong opinions over who your customer is. And it's based on a couple of interactions because people aren't that good at, you know, realizing their biases. Like maybe I went to a live event. I talked to one or two raving customers and then I think that's my customer <laughs> or the most vocal ones in customer support chat, but maybe they're just, you know, vocal people. <laughs> Yeah, so you you kind of got to get patterns, and so what we what I like to do is you got to look at your download all your customer data and just take your top twenty percent because you really want to find your ideal 
customers, ideal customers aren't what everyone has in common. It's what the top, the best customers have in common, which might be very different than the average customer or the, the low level customer. Yeah. So yeah. I like to start from lifetime value at first. And then that's, the, that's the basis right there. What, what did those folks have in common? And there's a lot of things it's frustrations and pains and problems and jobs to be done, which are, you know, sometimes challenging to get right, I think, but then also their business model, their industry, ads yeah. you know, for us, ad spend level, what channels are they running ads on? There's all the business mechanics. What, what CRM do they use? And then there's also the, the, the psychographic stuff. So it, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's very important and it takes a lot more time than people normally put into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, once I spoke with um, Jeff Coyle, he's co-founder of Market News, well-known company about AI. Uh, and uh, this tool can help to create advanced content strategy. And he told me, in the future, we'll have three companies. The first company will develop AI. The second company will implement AI. And the third company will be obsolete. Who can believe the trade? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's a must-have today you know, to think how to adapt AI. But I still see many niches can ignore. For example, in marketing, almost everyone, in content creation, almost everyone can implement AI. Uh, or even develop, uh, but uh, for example, I spoke to, to my two brothers. They worked in accounting for many years. They have high positions, good uh, revenue, uh, and they don't implement AI. <laughs> I spoke to them why, and uh, they can't create the right prompts. I don't know uh, many things, uh, and they usually get uh, generic replies. Uh, probably takes more time, you know, to think how to adapt to many different niches. Can you tell? How small companies that have this struggle, you mentioned about struggle, pain points, many things. How small companies can adapt AI today? Because uh, I check out a few opinions that if you don't do it today, you can, uh, it will be so tough in five years. Probably you can compete in five years because uh, uh, you need to think today how to implement and is the best time. So can you tell how to uh, overcome these struggles, pain points, uh, if you don't know what to do, where to go, and where to start basically with AI? Yeah. Okay. Well, I disagree with AI is going to solve all our problems. And if you don't do it, you're obsolete. I think that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's opinion, you know. I think. Yeah. I, I, well, think about like, oh, we're going to have, imagine, uh, we're going to have, everyone's going to have a, compu a, a computer. Everyone's going to have a, a computer in their hand. That's a phone and everyone's going to be connected with Facebook. It's going to be this one harmonious world. Oh, we're going to save so much time with all these databases and all. no one has time. Everyone's stressed out and no one's like all these huge productivity gains haven't magically appeared because we have computers and data. They have, but has anyone's day-to-day -day life really got that much more amazing? I don't know. People that are making money from the systems, yeah. But it hasn't like solved all the problems it was supposed to, even though the revolution occurred. Where everyone has a laptop or everyone has a cell phone now. And it hasn't, I mean, yeah, you can make 
you can spend more time playing Candy Crush. <laughs> yeah. I, I would not say a small business's number one point right now is to develop AI. I wouldn't. I would say it's to find out what's making people buy and try to do your best to scale that as fast as you can. Because growing revenue, particularly in this current recession, super valuable. And, and finding out what makes your customers want to buy from you and find more of them. That's more important than AI. Now, if AI can help you do that faster, then yeah, you should get on AI right away. But just to say you're doing AI makes no sense to me. I think you need to do it for a reason. So if, if AI can help you with a specific pain point in your business, then you should see if it can do it better or faster than you're already doing. Um, for a small business, I mean, chat GPT-4 paying 20 bucks a month to get the better model definitely gets better results. It can help you write emails really fast, blog posts, social posts. That stuff can happen fast. It can help you with sales pitches, at least give you good ideas. Like you can say, like I could say, hey, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be pitching a digital agency with 50 clients. They focus in e-commerce. And then if I learn how to write the prompts right. Tell me what is the best way to position Wicked Reports for them to want to purchase accounts. And it'll present some ideas. Some aren't very good, but sometimes we go, oh, I didn't think of that. That's a good idea. Um, so using it for ideas quickly or to generate posting content that you're then going to tweak and personalize, I think it's great. If that's what you're struggling with as a small business. But you got to yeah. look at your top. You should be working on your top problem anyway, your top two or three problems. And if an AI tool is going to help you get there, then you should use it. And if not, then... You should wait, <laughs> wait on AI. Yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I can't yeah. say for sure because my crystal ball doesn't work. I tried it. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> no. I had a bunch of yeah. questions for you if it did. <laughs> yeah, no, I bought crypto and I felt that crypto will go up because crystal ball told me about crypto went down. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided not to trust anymore this crystal ball. So yeah, we'll see. It. And But it's better to adapt. It's better to adapt. Remember uh, crypto, crypto, still not a bad thing to do. But remember, it was taking over the world. Yeah. I had a very smart person call me on Ethereum. I don't know what it's at now. Is that 2,500? He's like, you've got to get it. It's going to be $10,000 by the end of the year. I like Ethereum. I like those open source. I liked it better than Bitcoin. And I don't know. Uh, it didn't pan out. And everyone was hysterical around NFTs, Bitcoin. Yeah. And some people made money, but they haven't like changed a lot of life yet. Even though the tech's even better now than it was then. More people accept it. So I'm not saying AI is going to go that way at all. I mean, I think AI is already more helpful than Bitcoin, but. You know, hysterias, a lot of hysterias come. And yeah. The value can be there, but I mean. I think the biggest problem with crypto is that uh, people want to earn money fast. Now. And uh, if you check out data, 95% of people fail to earn money. Most traders fail. Yes. Yeah. And a uh, tiny percent of traders who have special skills, who can uh, measure uh results yeah they uh earn money and for example i remember when i listened to the episode with uh, steve uh yeah steven spencer um and he, he told that he lost uh eight figures in crypto 
trader, you know. So, and uh, it's a very risky game, and uh, it's better not to trust uh, many experts, you know, self-proclaimed experts. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they can manipulate the system. They can, uh, I don't know, use different methods, uh, and uh, yeah. Well, I don't recommend to anyone uh, to jump on crypto if you have no skills. Spend time yeah. to learn. Uh, don't play. Uh, don't put all eggs in, in one basket, as I usually do. You know, if I lose money, okay, I did it. You know, that, that's okay. I can live without this money as well. So yeah, just be smart and don't try to earn a lot of money. Uh, you you can get this luck, but uh, after that. You know, this uh, addictive will be chase you, you know, everywhere. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Scott, let's talk about um, AI more. Um, can you tell your practical tips about personalization? You mentioned a few times that AI can help to personalize marketing message, to personalize experience. And today, if you don't personalize, it's better, I don't know, it doesn't work. Uh, most customers are impatient. They want to get personalized experience. They don't want to figure out what kind of content you have, how it can help you. So, can you tell practical tips how to personalize marketing message? So, using AI. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, the fastest one that I've seen, Chat GPT four, and so then it's all around the prompt engineering. I've learned some pretty good stuff from uh, lendahire.com, L-E-N-D-A-H-I-R-E. So he posts the newsletter each week with different prompts. And one thing that he always starts them off with is, this is who I want you to be. That's the first start of the prompt. It's telling the AI who it wants you to be. So if you have your customers, potential customers' job to be done or super frustrating point, like if, you, if you're sending one out who I want you to be, I want you to be a, a, a B2B business that enjoys podcasts and is looking for new content on AI. Like if you started that as the sentence, then it'd be like, okay, I'm trying to write for that particular reader. And I found that the better you can get with that, the, the prompts around that really help with different messages. Cause then you say, that my pain points are this, my frustrations are this, I wish blank, and then use, then you tell what type of tone to use and what type of writing style, like use short paragraphs, be, try friendly tone, and then it will spit something out. And then sometimes you have to copy and paste in a big, if you're, if you're pitching your particular podcast, maybe you pick the podcast I'd like them to be interested is called unmiss.com and Here's some spiel about us too. And then it will take a stab at it and then you give it feedback. So it, it spits out a one, you say, write it shorter, be more aggressive, be more sarcastic. And you play with the back and forth and you, it's almost like a piece of clay that you're molding into a, a, a some sort of well, piece of art, you know, some sort of object. Yeah. <laughs> you keep probing around to try to get the response. But somewhere in the prompts, that the structuring of them and the back and forth, when you get to an output you like, then you've got a repeatable process. So that's yeah. that's what I'd recommend. Yeah, you remind me of Elon Musk. 
you know, once, uh, yeah, I watched uh, um, a his Twitter when he uh, shared screenshot, uh, his prompt on ChatGPT, and he did it before starting to criticize AI and signed this letter with thousand other uh, um, entrepreneurs who uh, asked to procrastinate the process. Uh, and uh, it's interesting to know how Elon Musk can change his mind because um, after a few days, he bought expensive equipment to Twitter to develop AI <laughs> after signing this letter. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, what I saw in Elon Musk uh, screenshot uh, when he asked uh, a hard question with many details uh, and he got unique answer. Uh, and uh, uh, I think even Elon Musk used bad language and he got an answer in bad language as well from ChatGPT. <laughs> and uh, uh, what, what I like about these details, I personally don't know how to use uh, best practices, best prompts, because I can use them only one time. Then uh, I play with my uh, extra points, uh, my, my prompts, uh, and I personalize them during the process because, yeah, mm -hmm. I can start, then uh, uh, I can ask many times, including I can quit, you know, and, and start new chat because I can't satisfy and explain <laughs> about that. Scott, can you tell about uh, struggles that companies can do with AI, implementing AI, AI from your experience and your tips how to find another way? Well, uh, one struggle I know of is someone saw uh, there was a there was an AI startup that's buying up digital agencies and then, you know, thinking the AI can can buy the media better because it's going to learn off the conversions. And exactly what I mentioned earlier uh, is sometimes happening where without the human nuance and without just the human judgment factor it's it's doing significantly worse even though it's because it the training is where these things can fail if it hasn't learned on the right data and you haven't verified that it's learned correctly then all you've got is something unintelligent <laughs> automated because like you can't the intelligence doesn't mean that it's always superior intelligence to humans not the case fortunately it's just an intelligence that has to be very properly educated and then still monitored. It's not like, otherwise someone would have created a financial trading system on AI, put it out there and would literally be the world's richest person with no end in sight. Cause it was like this flawless intelligence making all the right financial decisions. It's just not, it's not, it's not intelligent enough to do that fortunately. So I think it's the, the, the degree of work that goes into training the AI correctly and then oversight is something that's been dramatically under uh, just not uh, people have, have not considered how important that is or how much of an expense that is to, to get right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, can you tell more about IOS? Uh... How to cross pro marketing attribution, AI, iOS, uh, and uh, why marketers need to do it? Yeah, well, so iOS 17 is coming out and it's going to start blocking certain parameters in the links. Now, 
Facebook and Google right now, in particular, you know, Facebook, they both need this, but Facebook's hurt more. So I'll, I'll talk Facebook or Meta, if you will. With Meta, you know, there's a Facebook click ID on every click. And so they know quite a bit from that click ID and that helps inform all their algorithms. And everything with AI, you need the better the data, the better the potential outcome that's going to occur. Because otherwise you have to use probability models, which are only are not as good as legit actual conversion data or legit actual people clicking on things. It's all these inferences, probabilities and potentialities, which you stack up a bunch of them in a, in a decision tree where you're going to try to end up with the decision of make me more money with these with my ad spend Facebook. It has all these things that goes through these rules that are based on data. And the more accurate it is, the better they can perform. Now, without with iOS 17, it's relatively easy, at least in the beta. You go into private browsing, or, and but you and you, you excuse me, you enable link tracking protection for private browsing. But there's a little drop down that allows you to say all browsing, and potentially a lot of people might do that. You saw an iOS 14.5 ask me not to track. Everyone said no to track. 96% said, no, I don't want to be tracked. All of a sudden, Facebook had this huge problem on its hands. Yeah. Well, this one's even worse, be, well, potentially worse, because all the click IDs are now not going to make it to Facebook. So they're not going to know what the person even clicked on. Never mind who they are. They're not going to know who anonymous people are clicking on, on iOS. And so it's going to become imperative that people have another way to track things. Hi, Halima. <laughs> And so that is a, if you don't know what, ha, uh, what will be a good, I, I need a better analogy, but basically Facebook on iOS 17 traffic is going to be flying somewhat blind based on what they've currently built. So they're going to furiously build something else that may or may not work, but it's going to be uncharted territory for them to build something. Now I know from being a Facebook marketing partner for many years, out there at Menlo Park, we go out there for these big group think tank things to help them and to help us. They need conversion data within an hour for their out their current algorithm. How it was working was it would it would make adjustments intra hour based on data feeding in near real time on sales. That was based on having a click ID, having the real sales data. So you take away one of those two big components. How that algorithm is going to, the algorithm may be saying, oh, the algorithm is just going to make me rich is not, it's currently in peril <laughs> for yeah. your IRS 17 traffic. So you need an, you need an alternate solution, in which case marketing attribution still knows how to track things without Facebook click ID. It does it using different algorithms and different approaches that often show much more return on ad spend than Facebook themselves show. It's a different paradigm, different way of looking at things. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, marketers need to find the way all the time, if not the first time when something changed. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. always it's change. Our, Never can just rely yeah, on <laughs> it's, it's our job you know, to find the way how to use marketing in the smart way, you know, because especially in organic reach, in SEO, social media, yeah. yeah. Many things you, you can change because algorithms think more about human being, about their interest, if people want to save their privacy. Yeah. Uh, Apple just want to satisfy 
there in turn uh, and it's the same with algorithms when you you can post some content get high organic reach then in another day uh, algorithms change and you need to find another way how to do it and scott uh, i want to ask about your experience i found that we usually get high results with customers who understand asia if they understand then we can uh, cooperate like crazy team we know clear goals we can know why we need to create high quality content what kind of content to create uh why we need to think about website speed many things if they don't usually tell them take my course learn from lily ray jeff coil mike phillips many other great experts go to youtube google read books it doesn't matter just learn get the basic when you understand the basic we can speak one language we can achieve high results uh let's imagine you started today from scratch without any experience knowledge skills it's your first day in marketing in ai what will you do today to learn more about that the first thing to to, to learn more about ai i'd recommend Linda. i i think there's a couple great newsletters that you need to get on and devour all their content but for me i like to do a lot of learning in an area on my own first yeah to develop mm -hmm. my own initial ideas and just to get the lay of the land on the jargon and the different approaches. So, I mean, a couple that I'm the, the decode newsletter I'm on decode.ai. They've got some good stuff. Lend a hire again, like I mentioned, they've been good. Um, I'd start there. And then also there's a ton of good stuff on YouTube, not all of it, but I try but for my, my approach day one is I would try to use it for something I already had to do. Because you can learn, but if you're not applying it, you haven't really learned it. So yeah. fire up, get chat GPT-4, find some YouTubes on best marketing GPT-4 prompts for whatever you had to do that day. Like, let's say it's a blog post. Maybe you're the writer. Best marketing GPT-4 prompts for blog posts. And then it, so you're going to see a bunch of stuff. And then try one out with whatever you had to do that day you'll immediately make leaps in terms of how it works and where the limitations are because you'll take seriously the results because you'll be like, hey, I need this. <laughs> like I'm supposed to write a blog yeah. post today. It'd be much different than passive learning. It'd be very active learning, which means it'll cement it a lot quicker. It's more not just a concept or, a, oh yeah, I tried it out. It'll be like you're trying to deliver something using AI and you're really like how fast it gets first drafts. But then you'd be like this, I, how can I make this first draft good enough that um it's it's value to the readers then that's when you get into the prompts of the icps and then how do i mess with the tone it'll slowly build so i'd start with pick a pick a task you want to use ai for that day you know youtube on how to do it and then just start actually trying to do it with gpt forward see what happens that'd be what i do yeah i couldn't agree more i think you know it's like cristiano ronaldo he doesn't read a lot of books how to play soccer. He hits a ball a thousand times a day, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> it's practice, training, you know. You people have short memory. They can forget for a few days about new skills. I can forget for a few hours. Just tell me. <laughs> no, but yes. if you implement, if you test them, then you can memorize and you can adapt because it's not like to learn something that will unhide secrets. No, secrets don't exist in marketing but 
when you implement, when you test, experiment. You can adapt the skills to your preferences to achieve high results. Completely agree. Yeah, the experiment, yeah. experimentation mindset, extremely yeah. important. Because yeah. otherwise, all those templates and from all those gurus would always work. It's not that they're not bad or that they're necessarily selling something false, but it's just it's just not how it works. You can't just take yeah. someone's framework and it immediately guarantees riches. Yeah. You know, there's all that adaptation yeah. in there. It's not overnight success. And Scott, my final question about the future. I told you that my crystal ball doesn't work, but anyway, I will not ask you take your crystal ball and tell what kind of future will be in ai in marketing because that was simple to ignore hard today impossible tomorrow about ai and uh, so your tips about the future and how we can adapt to that as possible future yeah so i think um ai would will be a, an important tool in marketers toolkits but i think it'll just be one tool but I do think it will it will the people that embrace it and use it effectively are going to be able to be that much ahead of the people that don't because they're going to be even that much more productive, but also, you know, get answers faster. And just just generally, you'll be, you'll be a better marketer if you can use AI effectively. It's like, but it'll be like anything where there's a skill you have to develop. It won't be like, oh, I have an AI tool. Now I can turn my brain off. <laughs> it will be how good are you at enabling the AI to enable your customer or business to get what they want, which then enables you hopefully to get what you want. Yeah, nice, nice. Scott, it's a big pleasure to get on my show to learn from you. So valuable. You're so kind to share this valuable insights. Tell our audience the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Sure. Uh, wickedreports.com. If you're in the market for marketing attribution, if not, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn a fair amount. You can just, you know, I got a pretty unique name. You can find me that way or just type in wicked reports. I'll show up at the top one or the other. Yeah. hundred percent. It's unique name. You know, I think, <laughs> uh, guys, <laughs> I don't try to, uh, yeah, for me, it's hard to, me, uh, to spell this name, but uh, anyway, you can find the link uh, to LinkedIn account to the website in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and see you next time. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.